0: that at the beginning and we'll definitely get into that today, the half-brother of Jesus and the full-brother of James. What is this letter? It's a Catholic epistle, not Catholic in the sense that it's from the, the Catholic or the Roman Catholic Church, but Catholic in the sense of its original terminology, a general epistle as in open to all, not specific to any individuals, has very strong connections with Second Peter. When was it written? The assumption here, and there are assumptions around this, um, it, it's not dated and there's nothing within the letter that gives any specific points of reference to be able to date it, but the assumptions based on its writing, the, the assumed um, uh, places that it was uh, meant to be written in um, uh, before Second Peter and after, after First Corinthians, um, so around that like 57 to 61 AD. Where was it written? Um, again, guesswork puts it in, in anywhere from Palestine to Antioch, Alexandria, the, the reason that those cities were picked um, or are assumed to be um, um, sort of where it was written or at least who it was written to um, is based on its style, based on its, um, on its content. These were highly Hellenized communities that were mixtures of Jews and Greeks at the time. How is it written? It is written fully in Greek but a lot, if not all, of the Old Testament references and some of the other books that are referenced are using the Hebrew translation. So it is written in Greek, but it's not using the Greek translation of the Bible to do so. It's taking that Hebrew translation and writing it in Greek, um, which is a bit confusing, but we will get into it a bit later on. Um, and the most important question, you know, everything else that's up there is 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 food for thought. It shouldn't change your view of of what we're reading here um it it might color it a little bit and put a bit into that context but it's not necessary for your understanding of the book the last one is absolutely the one that you should be focusing on which is why was it written and as simply as it can be put it's to exhort saved christians to contend for the faith um with with the primary reference and we will definitely get into it today being saved christians it is it is those he is writing to the individuals that are saved here Um, and it is a warning to them. So um, it is only 25 verses, but there is a bit of a structure to it. Um, We have our opening greeting and blessings in the first two verses, and then we basically move, he gets it over very quickly, uh, who he is and and, and a brief uh, blessing to everyone, gets straight into the opening charge for two verses as to what the letter is is about and what he wants everyone to do with it. And then uh, from uh, verse 5 all the way to 19, he gives uh, examples of, of what to look for and how to uh, what, what this warning is. Um, and the term that I'm using here, it's not in the Bible, but interlopers. <coughs> um, I find that to be a very apt description of, of, of who Jude's talking about here. Um, and and it, it really comes in at, uh, at verse 4. But he's talking about individuals that have come into a church community. Um, and again, church being a sort of loose term. This is very early christendom and and you know um, um churches weren't as formalized as they are today you did have churches that were established at like that but you also just had gatherings of people wherever they could in in homes or in in, in public places um it it, it wasn't uh, able to be um um uh, celebrated for what it was uh, in in the culture of the day so um when we're thinking uh, the groups that he's talking to it it We don't know. He hasn't identified it. It is an open letter. It could be a large group of many people. It could be a small group. But its application today is for all of those scenarios. Um, But interlopers here, uh, that's really just an individual or a group of individuals who have put themselves into a situation or a group that they don't belong. They've injected themselves into that. Um, And I'm making um, specific reference uh, in this, and I'll, I'll sort of justify my position here, the correlation that we were talking about back here with Second Peter, again, if you'll remember from last week, the primary message of Second Peter was against false teachers. Um, false teachers doesn't appear as a word in Jude. So there are commonalities to the extent that about 76% of the verses that are in there are duplicated between the two of them, between Second uh, Peter and Jude. But there is a distinct difference between, I guess, who they're getting at. And I'm hoping to be able to justify that to you today. But again, take it not as my word. Test it against Scripture and, and, and come to those conclusions, as you will. Um, from verse 20 to 23, we've got a defense against those interlopers, so what we can actually do uh, to, to, to guard ourselves against that. And then the last two verses are a doxology, as it is with a lot of the, uh, the epistles. So we might get stuck into it. I'll, I'll kind of go um, verse by verse and then break down uh, what's in there. Uh, I'm not too sure if you're individuals that like marking up your Bibles, but I'll sort of call out things that are, that are at least worthy of underlining, whether they be in the Bibles directly or in your notes. But uh, word of warning, I, I do get rather deep into this and, and, and rather nerdy with the numbers and bits and pieces. You don't need to... What's up on the slide has a lot of detail. If you want to switch that off and just listen to me, feel free to do so. Um, I've got a lot of the Strong's numbers, uh, which basically allow for a cross-reference of specific words or all the words ultimately in the bible from both hebrew and greek you can look those up on your own i have broken them down i've given translations and bits and pieces they'll be up on the slides and when they're worth talking about in detail i will but feel free to take whatever notes you wish to away from today but uh the first verse um simply jude the servant of jesus christ and brother of james to them that are sanctified by god the father and preserved in jesus christ and called. So there are three words here, and, and, and I spoke to it last week uh, triplets and the rule of three, very persuasive writing, being able to um, um, capture the minds of individuals and, and be able to remember things. Things done in triplets in threes are a very uh, easy way to remember that. Um, so if there are three words that you're looking at here in the first verse sanctified, preserved, and called would be three that you would want to call out here, and uh, we'll get into those. But right off the bat, Jude identifies himself simply as Jude. It is his name. The second sentence there, or the second part of the, the, the first sentence, is the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. So again, as I said last week, if you're if you're explaining to somebody who you are or you're listing your references, you kind of put your best foot forward. And the first thing that he's doing is calling himself a servant, which Again, in that culture, it wouldn't have been a positive, but it's the first foot he leads with, and why? Because he's a servant of Jesus Christ. That, first and foremost, trumps any other credential that he has. When anyone's writing an epistle to somebody, you're kind of justifying who you are to who's reading it. Who are you to tell me whatever it might be, dot, 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 you, you, you fill in the blank. Who are you to write this letter to me? Why should I be listening to you? Well, I'm Jude, okay, I've identified myself, and I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. That would have picked up Christians' ears, that, that was something that they understood and they identified with. Now, the original, uh, sorry, the, the, the verse that we've got here refers to a servant, but the Greek word here, Julos, is slave, which I think really conjures up a very different image. Servant, it, it, it has a nicer appeal to it. Slave, well, I've lost all of my privileges and I'm beholden to somebody else. And that's exactly what it is when we are saved and we are, we are walking with Jesus. So we aren't... servants of christ yes we're to do things for him but slave is a much more apt terminology to be applied there and it feels uncomfortable um and if it does that's something i think you can explore internally um even while doing the study to keep hearing the reference of slave is something that makes people feel like i have to give something up but prior to being saved if we were a slave to our sin if I've got a comparison or a contrast to be drawn, a slave to sin or a slave to Christ, I think I know what camp I'd rather be in. But being comfortable with being able to call yourself a slave in Christ, I think, is a, is a very important thing. And he leads with that straight off the straight straight out of the gate. Now, uh, just to clarify what the number is, um, these are the Strong's numbers. So if you've got a Strong's concordance, and I think it's free within eSwords. So if you if you wanted to download it, it's um, something available. Um, the numbers, if you want to look them up, you can. But they're there not anything that you need to worry about today unless you're interested in doing it on, on your own. This slave, same term, slave and servant, and it's written as slave in the King James Bible in all of these references, sorry, it's written as servant in all of the references in the King James Bible, is what Abraham refers to himself as in, in Joshua. Joshua refers to, uh, a reference to Joshua. David refers to himself in the book of Psalms and other prophets in Second Kings. The same term is repeated through the Old Testament the people that Jude was writing to were very aware of these terms. He, again, we're writing to Hellenized Jews and Greeks. And I, I, uh, uh, that needs to be made clear as well. He's writing in Greek. It's not just for the Greeks. He's using very, very deep historical and, 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 and Jewish religious texts. He's not just writing to the Jews. He's writing to a mixed congregation. This was a, this was a big task. He identified something that was happening within this group and he's writing to a community of very intelligent argumentative Jews and Greeks doesn't want to put them offside needs to convince them that they need to separate themselves from this group of individuals that are very attractive to be following not upset them convince them to do something and he does it in 25 verses and manages to pack everything else in there so it's 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 very dense in that regard <laughs> But, but something to take away here is this, this concept of, of slave and that he is identifying himself first and foremost as a slave of Christ before he puts his other credential down, which is that he's the brother of James or Jacob. So that in that community, kind of would have been best foot forward. Look who I know. You know this individual that is very well regarded in the Christian community. You've all heard of him. I could have put that as my first credential. And look at me, and I'm, I'm a bit boasty. Look at who my brother is. He also doesn't play the family card. He doesn't say, well, I'm a half-brother of Jesus, which would have been another great credential and a tick box for him. He says, I'm a servant of, of Jesus Christ. And as we know from the readings we did last week, he didn't believe at the beginning. This is Jude. The brothers and sisters of Christ weren't believers. They came to Christ, or at least uh, James and, and, and Jude did, um, <coughs> having them, themselves letters in the New Testament. But it is... Um, yeah, he, he identifies himself as the brother of James. The other reason is, if, again, if you're writing that letter and you're justifying who you are, if he's writing to save Christians and he refers to himself, so, well, I'm writing this letter to you as a servant of Jesus Christ, everyone that was saved had that same credential. Well, I'm, I'm a servant of Christ as well. Who, again, who are you to tell me, well, all right, I'm also the brother of James. It's, it's something else to add. Um, I don't think it takes away from, from what he was getting at, but he did have to at least present himself as being somebody worthy of being able to, to address this, this congregation or this group or these groups. He also doesn't claim um, apostleship, which is a, uh, a difference. So it's a difference in being absent. He doesn't claim that. Second Peter, um, that obviously happens. Um, Paul refers to himself, so, uh, sorry, Peter refers to himself as, a, uh, as an apostle of Christ. So, the rule of three coming up again. So, as I I made reference before, we've got sanctified, we've got preserved, and we've got called. Um, These are important words. I I think they're they're, they're things that are worthy of of thinking on. Uh, Sanctified here is really to make holy. Uh, Preserved is to keep, and we'll definitely be going into the word keep very soon. Um, And our Lord is a keeping God. He doesn't forget. He doesn't set aside. It's, It's not something that he... Uh, 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 it does when it's advantageous to him he keeps us and he keeps his word at all times from the beginning until the end um, and that is something really that is that is worth standing on and, and I'll, uh, it, it is worth repeating and Jude repeats it a lot um, uh, this concept of, of of keeping but it is uh, so preserved and kept is is, is repeated whoop um, so that is, uh, the, the other thing that's in there is called, which is invited. We are invited into this relationship with Christ. Um, he did all the work up front. Uh, it's, it's merely up to us to accept that call. But I, I do like the concept. I think invited, um, you know, although called, it, it means the same thing. Invited just uh, conjures up different imagery there, and I think it's worth sort of uh, uh, raising that. So the concept of preservation appears six times in the book of Jude. Now, again, you can see from the Strong's Numbers, <coughs> Pardon me. They are the same number, which means that in the original Greek uh, version of this epistle, it was the same word. When uh, the King James is done, and this isn't in error, it's, it's more to put an English context for that word as it moves through. So, uh, in verse one, we have the word preserved. Uh, in verse six, we've got two versions of, of the same word in kept and preserved. In verse thirteen, it's reserved. Twenty one kept and twenty three kept. There is a slight difference in the number here. Um, Again, it is the exact same word in Greek. It's just that the implication here is that it is ongoing in nature, as in keeping watch. Um, So instead of keep, you are keeping. Um, Now, uh, I I spoke of Jude doing things in triplets, um, and this kind of bucks the trend because there are six of them. However, uh, if you delve deeper into each of those references... Three of them are used for salvation and three of them are used for damnation. So he's got another three triplets that sit within the context of that. So we're not even out of the first verse and he's already managed to get three sets of threes into it um, throughout the letter uh, and both in that, uh, in that initial um, uh, uh, verse. So for the three that are using for salvation and for damnation, the concept of being kept here specifically in this epistle is being kept until the Lord's return. Um, for salvation he is keeping and preserving us and in the very last version of it in which it is a, uh, it is a keeping it is up to us to keep um, uh, uh, sorry uh, uh, the, the Lord is able to keep us until that um, uh, moment of salvation or, the, or, or of Christ's return sorry not salvation of Christ's return and for the damnation component and we will get into the specifics of those it is, it is keeping those that are not within Christ's house, those that have rejected him, keeping them for that ultimate punishment, for that ultimate damnation. And if it seems like the terminology I'm using is rather harsh, wait until we get into the actual book of Jude uh, itself and proper and and some of the, the, the terminology that's used there. Sorry. Okay, sorry, my apologies, I've left out two references that I wanted to include when I was back here in, um, in being called. Um, so this concept of being called um, uh, as an invitation, we've got uh, two references that I think are worth bringing up um, Uh, So Romans 1:6. Apologies here. I've got a lot of tabs open. Um, uh, 1:6. So, and you don't need to flip to it. You're happy to write it down, but I'll I'll read it out for you. For any of the other references, I'll I'll read them out for you. Um, So in Romans uh, chapter 1, verse 6, along whom. Uh, sorry, among whom ye are also the called of Jesus Christ. Uh, so it's not a concept uh, just specific to Jude, this, this, this invitation. Um, as we know, it's, it's scattered throughout the Bible, but just to give some additional references. We've also got one in uh, John chapter 15, uh, verse 16. Um, "Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you um, that you should go and bring forth fruit. So this is very much a, the Lord calling us. Um, and, and it's important to note that, again, uh, Jude will talk about, I guess, what the Lord's done for us and what our response is. It's a call and a response. It's not a passive thing, uh, and Jude is very much a, uh, an advocate of, of not being passive. It is something that you actively need to do um, in, in service of the faith, and that first part of it is answering that call. Um, so sorry to jump back there. Um, we've gone through Preserved. So with that... Uh, with that introduction out of the way, now some of the other epistles will spend multiple verses doing that introduction: who they're talking to. Jude gets it out of the way in one verse. He identifies who he is, on what basis he's talking to them, what justification he's got, and specifically who he's talking to. And this concept of being sanctified, preserved, and called—he is talking to saved individuals. Um, and that is um, important to note. He's not. This isn't a call to. A general congregation to say some of you are saved some of you are unsaved and and this is what Christ done for you these are individuals that know full well um they're very well versed with the literature of the time specifically a lot of the old uh Hebrew texts these are these are intelligent individuals not just intelligent as in um uh, uh, of the mind but spiritually intelligent as well but they're starting to falter and that's what this letter is about so verse two, we've got another rule of three. We've got, uh, I'll, I'll read out the passages, mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. It's a very short verse, but in here we've got the word mercy, um, which, is, which is compassion. We've got peace, and this is a very strategic um, um, sort of terminology used here. Peace again in Greek, translated peace, but it's a very common Hebrew greeting of the time, um, shalom. So he's doing this throughout the epistle where he does a mixture of cultures. Why? Because the people he's talking to are a very mixed Cultured uh, group, and something to note um, as well, uh, just as an aside, a lot of the time I think when when uh, and, and I'm guilty of it myself doing doing the readings when we're talking about highly Hellenized communities, it's very easy to, I guess, um, uh, assume that okay they've 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 dropped their, their Jewish ancestry and their ways and they've adopted this Greek culture. That's not necessarily the case. It's not I'm I'm carrying two suitcases and I have to put one down to pick another one up. I've got to dump that bit of my Jewish ancestry to pick up um, um, some elements of the Greek culture. They were folded into um, as well. Yes, there were individuals that would have done that, that would have set things aside, but that's not necessarily the case. So to keep in mind that it's this very mixed culture that we've got here and that is addressing... Saved Christians first and foremost, um, regardless of their background, but he has to capture who they are and their, and their minds. And then we've got um, uh, a very New Testament term here in this alo- love, this agape love, this benevolence, this brotherly love that's uh, that, that, that's put out there. Um, and I think it's important to note that these are gifts of grace, um, and and it's evident from here. And, and we'll do it in contrast to some of the philosophies later on, um, the, the Greek philosophers of the day. Um, in, the, in uh, next Sunday's class <clears throat> the, the gifts that are here from a Christian perspective can only be obtained through Christ um, mercy, peace and love there are uh, multiple throw pillows that are out there and multiple posters that you can get on walls that will tell you that you can obtain love and peace and mercy through self-reflection through meditation through any other form other than Christ but these are very much grace-given gifts And I think the other thing to note is that the order is very important. He writes these in a very specific order. You can't obtain the latter without the former, right? I don't think you can have that inner peace unless you acknowledge and accept that you've got mercy from Christ first and foremost. You receive that inner peace, and through that inner peace, you can then show love to others. It is very hard, if not impossible, doing it the other way around. Um, you know yourself, if, you, if you're sick, you've got a cold, it's very hard to be happy. If you're tired, you're going to be grumpy. How much more so to show love to an individual that has, that has hurt you, that has betrayed you, that, has, that, has, that, 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 that you know is a sinner, and extend that love to them. If you don't so yourself have peace in your own salvation... And you can't have peace in that salvation until you've actually received that mercy from, Lord, from the Lord. So I think that, that, that order is very important. It's another triplet that is folded in there. And in one sentence, I think he's packed an absolutely incredible <laughs> amount of, uh, of doctrine, um, knowing, knowing what the rest of the Bible is about and what these individuals do, that, that blessing that he puts in there. And, and having a blessing in the second verse of an epistle is a bit strange as well. Um, they're normally sort of towards the end, um, but he's he's done it straight away and i feel like it's a little bit of a buttering up as well because he's really going to put the boot in soon um so the first two verses are really letting the audience know who he is that they're on the same side i'm about to get into something uncomfortable but we are saved we are kept we are in this together let me tell you something um and and he's going to basically spend the next 18 verses revealing what that is all about so the opening charge so verse three uh Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful me, for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. If you are going to underline anything in this chapter, earnestly contend for the faith. That is, that is what this letter is all about. Um, it's what Jude, what Jude is standing for and what he wants us to do uh, every step of the way. Um, so that is, that is really what he's after. So we've got another rule of three. It doesn't exist specifically within this verse, uh, all three of them, but beloved. Um, Jude uses this word, um, which which uh, you can see has the word agape in it, this concept of brotherly love. Um, some of the other translations uh, and other Bibles we'll put out there will say, so dear friends in some extent. And I think that really downplays what Jude's doing here. These are, He's calling his brothers and sisters in salvation I I love you and and I need you to know that we're we're getting into something that's uncomfortable but I love you and I'm telling you this in love and he uses these as almost dot points to break up his epistle so you'll see that beloved is used in verse um, 3 and this is where he he starts his charge for, for earnestly contending for the faith he'll use it again in verse 17 and that's where he starts talking about uh, basically the, the the prophetic, the the, the statements uh, in the New Testament that the apostles made towards um, uh, prophetic um, instances. So that's the the apostolic prophecies that sit there. Uh, and then in verse twenty, he uses beloved again, and that's before he starts all the exhortations and the comforting at the end of of, of, of this uncomfortable letter. So. There's another, uh, there's another triplet that he's got embedded in there in these beloveds, and they really serve to... Again, the chapter and verses as we see them didn't exist at that point in time. I feel like these are dot points to break up his his, his, uh, his letter here. Um, yeah, and one of the other terms used here is uh, common salvation, and I wanted to highlight common because there's anything but common, um, uh, the salvation. No, it's not common in the extent that it is, it is, it is, a, it is a throwaway thing. It's something... Uh, it, it, it's easy to obtain in that sense... But the, the commonality that he's talking here is to be shared by all. And again, this, this reinforces this concept that these are stable, like-minded Christians. These are saved people. He's not talking to a wishy-washy crowd. He's talking to individuals. This is a common salvation. We're on the same page. We have the same Lord. We have the same understanding of what this salvation represents. These people aren't confused as to, 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 to where they stand um, they're getting there, but, but he's, he's, he's acknowledging the fact that that is, is where they are. Now, earnestly contend, I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce it. Um, there are two terms in here. So the, uh, again, no, I'm not going to do it. I could do it at home, but I'm not going to do it here. Um, sorry, the, the second component here. Um, the, the, the definitions here are, are, are very varied, but they all come down to the same thing. To fight, to labour, to struggle, to strive, to contend. Now, that word on its own means that, but there's a smaller, there's an EP here, which is a, a primary preposition in English, and I'm not going to give you a, a, a literature lesson here, but effectively, th- those are things like uh, that, that will set things uh, in, in its relation to time or location, etc. so terms like before and after is a primary pre- preposition. In the context here, in the present tense, it really means that this fight has no end. And I think that is an amazing term to use here. It also puts it in the here and now. Um, when, when I first read earnestly contend for the faith, what comes up to mind? Well, it's okay. I would stand up for Christ in this situation. If I saw this happening, I think I would speak out against it. But he's not, that's not what we're talking about here. You're already in this fight. You're there already. You are... I am... I am, I am urging you i am i am i am down on my knees here and i'm asking you to fight for the faith not just when it suits you not when you feel applicable fight now and fight until the coming of christ right um and and you know it's one that we've we sort of uh, a verse that comes up a lot but uh first peter 5 8 um apologies i put it on the wrong page (laughs) Uh, 1 Peter 5, 8. Be sober, be be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. He's not taking a rest, right? Our adversary isn't one that's sitting on his laurels waiting for us to trip up. He is is actively trying to trip us up. It's not through our fault that it's going to be that he's going to throw everything at us and this is a fight from now until the Lord comes to take that away from us we are earnestly contending for the faith this is the only time in the bible that that word is used so it's one word in 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 the greek but earnestly contend is is um um what it translates to or what it has been translated to in um uh in the king james version of the bible so uh, if you take nothing else away from any of the lessons I do, that is, that is what he's urging and that's what I would urge all of you to, to, to sit on and to, to soak on this, this concept of earnestly contending. What am I doing for my faith? And, and it's not necessarily an external thing. It's an internal thing. And, uh, and, and we'll get into some of those details as well. But that is, that is the primary thrust of his, of his epistle here. Um, and the concept in relation to this in, in its Greek terminology with this fighting, it's, it's to have nothing in, left in reserve. I'm not holding anything back here for a fight later on. I'm, give, I'm laying it all out there here and now. Um, one of the other terms that's used here, uh, uh, faith, and there's many different versions of this word throughout um, um, the Bible, this concept of faith. But the definition here is really a conviction of truth and a reliance on that salvation. Um, uh, I wanted to give sort of an analogy here because I always find it a little bit easier to, to, to do. So um, the way I'm, I sort of the, the analogy I came up with was of that of a ladder. You might read everything about that ladder. It's maximum weight distribution, how it works, what rung you can climb up to. It's a vi- and, and you can have faith in that document. You can have faith in the steel that it was made with. You can have faith in physics and that it's going to support you and that it's going to work, that you've put it on solid ground, you've done your bit. And then you've got to climb it. And it's how wobbly your knees are and how much that works. That, that faith that he's saying here, it's not that, that knowledge faith. I've read my Bible. I know my chapter and verses. I've read the books. I know how that ladder works. It's now the application of that. And it's where I've got to climb that ladder. I have to earnestly contend for this. And I have to have reliance upon it. You can't fight for something if you don't believe in it. That faith, believe in this. This is the faith that we are fighting for. Uh, and the other term that's in there, uh, I'm sorry, I don't have it up on the slide, and I, I didn't want to get stuck into it. But again, something to think about, which was once delivered unto the saints. Just that word, once. Christ did it once. That was enough. That's all he needed. He, he didn't have a second go at it. It wasn't complete. Oh, sorry, it wasn't incomplete. There weren't bits missing. When he said it is finished, it was finished. It was done once. So again, just something that I wanted to call out. That that simple word once, filled me with a lot of uh, a lot of joy reading that one. Um, so the exhortations that are in verse 3 are actually repeated sort of between tw- uh, verse 20 and 23, and they're like bookends to this chapter. Um, how long have we gone? I know we started a little later. What time do we normally finish? 10.15? Alright, I've gone slow today. <clears throat> Pardon me. Um, so we'll get into verse 4. So... Um, and, and this is the, the, the thrust of the argument. So we know what we're meant to do, but why are we doing it? Why are we honestly contending? And what's the what's the point of this letter? For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying our only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and this is where I guess the distinction between uh, Peter and Jude come up these aren't false teachers. These are men that have crept in unawares. Uh, they're turning God's grace gifts. So the ones that were up in verse two, actually, I'm not going to do that because we'll spend forever coming back. Um, so in verse two, the, the, the grace gifts that he was asking, mercy, peace, and love, they're, they're, they're corrupting these concepts. They're turning them on their head. They're He's asked for this blessing in verse 2 and now he's letting you know that there are men that are within your congregation, that are within your groups, that are corrupting these concepts. Um, They're they're turning the grace of our Lord, these these grace gifts of mercy, peace and love, they're corrupting the Lord's grace. They're turning it into something for their own endeavours. They're turning it into something sinful. Now how are they doing that? We'll get into that. But but that 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 is what's happening within this congregation and that's what's happening today. This is such an applicable epistle for Every point throughout church history from its first origins in which this was written to today, and again to continue as it says until the coming of the Lord. So, ungodly men, we've got six times that it's referenced in here as this term ungodly. Um, there are different references for these, and I'll get into some of the details, but ungodly is its, its terminology. Um, ungodly men ungodly among them, ungodly deeds, ungodly committed, ungodly sinners and ungodly lusts, who is warning against aren't saved people. These are ungodly people. They are corrupting and perverting the word. That is not to say that they could not be saved later. No one is beyond salvation. But at this point, these individuals, that's what they're doing. And their condemnation has been set from the beginning. And he's only going to use some very, very old references to, to call that out. He's not using anything new. He's not using anything from the New Testament. He's not talking about anything that Christ has said. He's going to use very old references uh, from verse 5 to verse 7. Again, another triplet, three examples um, uh, to, to justify that. Now, again, this doesn't seem to fit the, um, uh, the, the concept of triplets, but I will come back to it. Um, <clears throat> another thing to point out, this concept of, uh, apologies, um, denying the only Lord God. So only in the very first one here, so we've obviously got Lord twice, but the, the only reference to lonely is there, meaning single. The other one here is where we uh, get the root word, for this, this Lord, this first Lord, um, out of the, the last sentence in, in verse 4. The root word comes from despot, which in today's society is not a very positive Um, uh, word but that's that is what he's using here the concept is an absolute ruler and we're talking back in verse one about being a servant or a slave of christ this same concept is brought up here i don't have any authority here he is my absolute ruler i don't get to object or overrule or decide when i feel like performing that particular task or that service or that that attitude And only being single. The other thing that this does, and this would have put an absolute target on this letter, is you've got to remember that we're in Greco-Roman culture. Let's underline the word Roman there. It was effectively blasphemy to say that there was somebody that was a sovereign ruler over any individual other than Caesar. So this letter was... That that terminology (laughs) terminology alone, only Lord, it's a very simple thing, and we read it today, and, and you can bypass that. Right, it, 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 it's it's you, you're worried about these men that have crept in, but you almost overlook this. Only Lord God, this was a that that alone was blasphemous in the Romans' eyes, especially in Caesar's eyes. There is no one sovereign over you; it's just me. That that call out there is a very important one, and it also speaks to how much um, uh, uh, Jude was able to put into this. What what individuals that were saved Christians obviously didn't recognize Caesar as their ruler; they recognized that Christ was their ruler. And to put that into this letter, not only put a target on its back, but for these individuals that were being swayed by this persuasive writing, but it was persuaded by being different and, and I want to think differently, that would have been attractive to them. It's something controversial that would have been in the letter that would have, would have stimulated conversation, would have stimulated it being spread further. Look at this, it's, 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 it's controversial. So putting that in there, whether that was his intent, I don't know, but it's worth calling out that that was something that would have, would have really ruffled some feathers at the time. <coughs> we have the word ordained and condemn, con, uh, condemnation. Um, uh, so what he's saying here is, these certain men have crept in unawares, but before of old ordained to condemnation. So before, before you know, time was set in motion, their fate was sealed. Um, ordained, previously written, is, is the terminology here, and the condemnation being the damnation. In the context of this epistle, Jude's talking about divine judgment. He's not talking about our judgment, and that's something that I really want to clarify here. Um, and I might end on it. I've got one, one verse to, to sort of call out that I think is very, very worthy and um, uh, applicable to this. Um, it's not up to us to make that judgment. God punishes not man. Um, there are instances, especially in the Old Testament, where you know that might have worked out, the eye for an eye. But since Christ's coming, that's no longer applicable. Um, and the, the reference that I want to give here uh, is Matthew 13, uh, verse 24 to 30. And So this is the parable of the wheat and the tares. <clears throat> so another parable he put forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like an unto man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares amongst the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the household came to him and said, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence hath it tares? And he said to them, the enemy has done this. The servant said to him, "Wilt thou then that we go up and tear them out? Now he's talking to the apostles here, right? So this parable is applicable to them, but it's applicable to us as well. So they're asking at this point, and I'll stop here and, and, and get to the rest, but I just need to call it out. At this point, the servants are coming to him. So the enemies come along and they're put in tares. Wheat was edible, tares weren't. As they grew, they looked the same. It was only at harvest time that you could tell the difference between the two. But they know that it's happened. The enemy has sowed these seeds. He sowed descent. This is the, the equivalent here. He's sowed descent into that. Sorry, I know I've got to finish. Um, and and the, the servants or the apostles or those within that congregation hello, uh, are saying... Um, shall we go and gather them up? But there's there's the second part here. He said, Nay, lest that while you gather up the tares, you root up also the wheat with them. So while you're while you're so busy focusing on trying to pull these out, you're going to disrupt everything else that's there. Do not uproot the congregation for the sake of these tares. Leave them, and why leave them? Let them. Grow together until the harvest, and in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, "Gather ye together the first, uh, first the tares, and bind them into bundles and burn them. But gather the wheat into my barn." Right? That that parable absolutely parallels this letter. It is not for us to punish. It's not for us to judge. Uh, the the book of Jude is a lens to look to protect ourselves against these individuals. But it's not for us to judge them. And I think that's, a, that's an important takeaway. Um, and I think that's, that's, a, that's a parable that absolutely echoes what Jude's talking about here. <laughs> so this side of heaven, we have a mixed crop. Uh, and that happens because of human, fa- uh, human failures and human weakness. The enemy's out there doing what he can do. He is a roaring lion. He will sow whatever descent he can amongst a congregation. We're not protected within these four walls. You know, As much as we'd like to think of it as hallowed ground, it's not to the extent that the enemy can be anywhere. It's being vigilant, it's being diligent, it's protecting ourselves, and it's ensuring that we are arming ourselves and protecting ourselves. Um, it is not to root out these weeds and, and, and pull them out. Only the Lord can do that. Um, so that is where I'll end it. And I think uh, Jude echoes that as well, even in, in verse 22. And I feel like this might be a bit personal uh, for himself. He says, "...and Of some have compassion making a difference. Um, I think what he's talking about there is that there there will be people that are a bit slow on the uptake from time to time, and we've all been there with regards to that in our our Bible study and our understanding of Christ. Jude didn't believe at the beginning of his life, and he spent his childhood next to Christ. Um, So... I think, yeah, that, that's, that's the takeaway that I, I wanted to leave on here, which was that um, although this is a lens to identify individuals that we need to protect ourselves from, it's not up to us to judge. So I, I might uh, end with a prayer there. Thank you all for listening, and, uh, and we'll get um, into all of the examples and hopefully move through it a little bit faster next week. Uh, Dear Lord, thank you for, uh, thank you for uh, allowing us the, the time to um, uh, spend looking at your word in, in detail. We thank you, Lord, that we are able to come together and have this time um, uh, in, the, in the time that this letter was written. Um, it, it would not have been so easy and um, uh, to, to openly discuss the things that you would uh, have for us to understand. We pray, Lord, that we would be able to, uh, to, to take this away, to understand it and absorb it. and uh, and apply it to our lives. It's not a passive thing that we want to do Lord but an active thing. We want to earnestly contend for you. So please help us to earnestly contend in our own way this week and uh, and I pray Lord that you'll keep us all um, until we're able to either study again next week or you you call us up. So uh, we ask all of this in Jesus name. Amen.